It's Wednesday the 26th of August 2009 and you're listening once again to Skeptics with a K, the podcast for science, reason and critical thinking. Skeptics with a K is produced by the Merseyside Skeptic Society, a non-profit organisation dedicated to the promotion of scientific scepticism on Merseyside, around the UK and internationally. I'm your host, Mike Hall. With me today is Marsh. Hello. And Colin. Hello. Marvellous. How are we getting on, lads? Pretty good, pretty good. I like Colin's uh, pretty slow hello there. It was hello. <laughs> it was a little bit uh, Leslie Phillips. <laughs> Rather. It's very good. But a bit smooth. I'm a lot younger than Leslie Phillips, though. Uh, quite a lot, yeah. And a lot less smooth with the ladies. Although, at, at school, we did, we did call you old man at school. Yes, that is true. And how many years <laughs> ago would that have been? still my nickname, really. How many years ago would that have been? Um, 12 years ago? Yeah, I think. So he was officially an old man 12 years ago. Yeah. Well, it's because he was the oldest one in the year, more or less. His birthday is like, was it September? Yeah. Yeah. So right he's the, the oldest one in the, yeah. the oldest one in the year so by a matter of weeks, probably as, ma- yeah. as much as weeks. Yeah. But like my people. my birthday's in May, so like Colin was fifteen for years. Well, my birthday when I in was August. still fourteen. My birthday is in August, and I'm pretty much still fifteen. If you listen to these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, Craig Venter, controversial scientist and businessman, has claimed that his team. This is the J. Craig Venter Institute in Rockville, Maryland, has cleared a critical hurdle on the way to creating a man-made organism in the laboratory for the very first cool. time. This is assuming we don't make any errors, he says, which is obvious, really. I think he's quite wishful thinking, but he has a good track record in predicting what he's going to do and then doing it. He was the first... Person. Are you suggesting he's psychic? <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't think it's psychic if you predict something you're going to do. I think that's just like planning. Yeah, essentially. yeah. <laughs> it's called forethought. Forethought, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's lots of psychics who uh, claim to have forethought and foresight. Foresight is a different thing, and foresight is something else together. <laughs> so, what, uh, what what do you mean by synthetic organism? By synthetic organism, it will be a uh, bacterium. So, not like a plastic cat or uh, no, a, a wooden dog. It's, it's something very small. It's like canine from Doctor Who or anything. <laughs> Oh, I, I didn't bring up the Doctor Who reference this week. I thought I'd beat you to it. To be honest, <laughs> I felt like I had to get in there first, pip you at the post, that kind of thing. That's what I like to hear. Synthetic organism, you say? He was the first person to map a bacterial genome back in about 1995. And he raced the Human Genome Project to um, crack the human genome as well. And it was a dead heat in 2001. They mapped out at the same time. They went on a 10-year plan. He said he'd do it in three years and did. Cool. So he's got good history with this. I, I can't help but hear that when I hear the word genome, I see like a gnome dressed in gangster clothing. It's <laughs> a genome. And so, it's every single time. I can't help myself. Go fishing. <laughs> Go fishing, bitch. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get Go into fishing the, uh... with, with my home. <laughs> Let's get the gangster slang early. We might as well. Sorry. Uh, yeah, synthetic oh, organism gen- genomes. That's oh, I can see his gnomes now. <laughs> Gnomes on a tricked out, <laughs> on a tricked out mushroom. <laughs> he's had it lowered. He's had all the sort of the spinners spots. on them. The spinners, exactly. Yeah, yeah. had the spots darkened. Kind of thing. Yeah, he's got himself a, uh, a fully gold fishing rod. <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's got his little gnome hat on backwards. <laughs> How could you tell? 
How, can you, <laughs> how do you know if a home gnome's hat is on backwards? Doesn't it, doesn't it sort of like flop back over? Maybe it sort of flops forward. So it flops forward like so a sort of Smurf it, hat. Yeah, I like can't see when he's running away from the police. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Although does we just let him look like a bit emo. Does that mean all the Smurfs had their hats on backwards? They were genomes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were down, man. They were from the streets. The, the idea behind this is that they will basically write a genome from scratch and then they will insert it into a bacterium and then that new genome will implant itself and rewrite the original genome. So basically, it'll be human-written information and will be the first well, so this, man-made this, organism. This, this thing will not have evolved. It will have been intelligently designed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. By us, though. For, for the first time. For the first <laughs> ever time something first will have First time been. ever in history that something has been intelligently designed, an organism has been intelligently designed. So did it say what the implications of this would be? Um... I think his long-term goal, he wants to create bacteria that will transform coal into natural gas and algae that soak up carbon dioxide and turn it into hydrocarbon fuels. That's a pretty noble, noble goal. Something he's, uh, it's, it's good plans he's making. It is very noble. They haven't, bear in mind they haven't actually done this yet. Um, they, can, they can implant a natural genome that they already have into another bacterium and that will um, overtake the host cell but they haven't done it with a synthetic one yet, and that's to do with the process they use for actually creating it. It would be pretty cool if this does come off, I suppose. I mean, turning, uh, turning algae into, into... Actually, what was it? Algae into coal or coal into gas? Or... I'm just making up what he's doing. Now, <laughs> so saying, yeah, isn't it, isn't it? I think he's turning coal into ice cream or something. He's going to offer a, a quicker way of uh, dissolving wood into beer. I was, I was out with a friend recently with his kids, um, where I ended up having a conversation with his three-year-old daughter and, and told her that uh, cows are machines that turn grass into milk, yeah. which she thought was fantastic, and is true. It is. But you've got to wonder true. if we could cut out all that farting and mooing and legs. <laughs> well, and the, the like mooing that. and the legs are the most particularly offensive things about cows, mm. I believe. You know, the mooing, well, actually, mooing is quite, uh, quite endearing. Legs, nah. Cow legs, <laughs> crap. Although they do, they do keep the udders off the ground. Yeah. That's true. And it, it's quite e- it, it, it's good for ease of access for the milkmaids. <laughs> do milkmaids still milk cows? I've, I've got my head that it's someone on, a, on one of those little three-legged little three stools. Stool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you don't Pig want the tails. cow to be like dragging its udders through a load of bullshit mm. in the field. That is, that's, true. that's true. That's <laughs> true. It's not going to be pleasant. <laughs> I, I don't, when, but and the thing is, well, if cows didn't have legs, how would we know it's going to rain? You know, cows ah. sit down to rain. This is, where, this is why cows have legs. You know, it's yeah. a weather prediction thing, so we, which we, is infallible. Can't genetically engineer cows to have no legs, then? No, maybe can... Uh, maybe just one leg, like a sort of flamingo. Flamingos do have two legs. <laughs> yeah, but like a flamingo. Oh, I see. Similarly. <laughs> like, like a flamingo with one leg. Yeah. <laughs> have, have them, give them just, one leg like a one-legged flamingo. We just have all these cows balanced in the middle of fields. Would they be pink? Yeah, pink cows. It would make cow tipping really fucking easy, though. It would take, <laughs> it would take a lot of the skill and dexterity out of cow tipping. <laughs> They'd be tipping themselves. And how would they get about? I mean, they'd be hopping. <laughs> hopping cows. I don't, I, I don't see how cows could hop. You know, if, if this is Dragon's Den and that's your idea, I'm out. I'm not, I'm not funding your one-legged cow proposal. You can whistle, frankly. <laughs> I think one-legged cows are a winner. <laughs> Maybe they sort of, like, uh, group together to sort of support themselves, like some sort of cow conga line. <laughs> and then they'd be all leaning against each other. And then you could have like a domino rally of cows. This is I, actually, I, I'm changing my mind. We're I'm in on this, this idea. Yeah. This is amazing. Cow, cow tipping was just the tip of the iceberg. It was the tip. Cow <laughs> domino rally. 
That's what we want to see. It'd be good because we could then have them going up steps and then dropping down with buckets and, and legs and yep. things. Actually, that's mousetrap, actually, rather than... <laughs> 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 There's no reason why I can't incorporate the two. These bacteria can do anything. They could, they could take a cow, a, a cow domino rally, and turn it into a mousetrap just using a bacteria if we can synthetically modify <laughs> one. Well, this week there's been uh, an amazing psychic prediction. Uh, it's going to absolutely astound you. We have the Bridlington-born psychic Honor B- Broxap, which is one of the most amazing surnames I think I've ever heard. Broxap. How's that Brox- spelled? B-R-O-X-A-P. Broxap. It, it sounds like some sort of uh, tree sap. You know, it sounds like something <laughs> yeah. that a herbalist would sell you. Oh, you want some Honor Broxap? Yeah, sure, take it with some... Uh, <laughs> Take it with some echinacea from, and it'll cure your ills. From the Honor Brock tree. From the Honor Brock tree. <laughs> yeah. Which I believe is in some sort of an Enid Blyton novel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Honor Brock's app. The uh, she's made some amazing Honor Brock tree. <laughs> yeah, she's made some amazing predictions about Dwayne Chambers, the uh, f- former drug cheat, who's now uh, sprinting again for all his, all his worth. Yes. Um, she Apparently, she's East Riding's answer to Mystic Meg, I've heard, uh, and she, was, she correctly predicted that Chambers would make it to the final of the World Championship 100 metres in Berlin uh, last week. Um, the report in, on the website I saw uh, says she also apparently claimed he beat his personal best. Um, right. Now, two things are going on here, if you ask me. The first, she's playing into confirmation bias. You know, if he does actually make the 100 metre final, then it suddenly gets reported and seems like a really big deal. What an impressive story. She could see this coming. Yeah. Um, if he doesn't, no one cares. It's a non-story. Yeah. It doesn't get reported. It's the whole publisher's draw selection bias. Yeah. You know, no one cares. And the second sort of thing that's going on, he wasn't exactly an outsider. No. <laughs> if you look at the people in his heats, you know, they're not fast. No. He's, he's a pretty quick guy, even without all that mad nandrolin and stuff he was taking that got him banned, proven as a cheat. Uh, now he's back. You know, he's still pretty quick. He's pretty nifty. Good sprinter will win race is not really any <laughs> kind of prediction. No. Exactly. It's, and she didn't say he'd win, and he didn't win. He just made the finals. <laughs> So he was one of the fastest, what, eight people in is that, that top eight that goes yeah. through, is it? Yeah. I, I think it's top eight. And in the end, you know, he lost the uh, the finals. He ran 10 seconds and obviously Usain Bolt nailed him. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> smashed him to pieces uh, with his, with his record-breaking uh, one. The other thing she predicted was that he'd b- break his personal best. And uh, the paper that ran the story uh, said, you know, he did. And he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he broke his seasonal best. She said he'll break a personal best. He broke his seasonal best. Uh, he ran as quick as he's gone all season. You and know, he, of course she's going to claim a hit on that. Of course yeah, she will. Yeah, I know. But I mean, he's gonna, he hasn't run a championship this season. So of course he's going to give it his all in the biggest race of his season so far, in the final of the 100 metres world championship. He's not going to be coasting when he's run quicker in the past. People tend to break their seasonal bests in world championships. Um, but it wasn't his personal best. His personal best is actually three hundredths of a second quicker. Um, I think that's his personal best unaided by all the steroids. And <laughs> I'm not 100% sure, but we don't know. She was only three hundredths of a second out. It's close. Well, it is close, and she almost hit. You know, if, if every psychic can get that close to hitting, we might as well consider her psychic. That she almost knew. Um, she, uh, she did make another amazing claim. Um, Broxap, she claims to be... not. This isn't her amazing claim. But she claims to be a direct descendant of Gypsy Rose Lee. Right. Who was she the first stripper or was she the first gypsy? I can't I remember. <laughs> I thought she made cakes. Was is, I guess that's, that's Sarah oh, Lee. Right. That is Sarah Lee. Who didn't exist. No, so As I Brian understand. Yeah, out, yeah. Brian Dunning said Sarah Lee did not exist. Good spirit. There's the obligatory Brian Dunning My impression. My excuse for a Brian Dunning impression. <laughs> well, I don't know whether Gypsy Rose Lee exists. I think she did, but I'm pretty certain she didn't predict the future either because no one ever has because it's complete nonsense. But uh, Broxap, her, her told the mail, 
I saw he needed to watch around for foot, ankle, or leg problems. I knew there was something not quite right, which is amazing because he then dropped out of the 200 meters race altogether with a calf injury, which obviously she predicted by <laughs> saying he'd have foot, ankle, or leg problems. Right. In a race. And, and he's a sprinter. His legs. <laughs> he, he only uses legs. If he'd broken his finger, he probably still would have run. If he <laughs> got a bit of a cold or broke his nose, he probably still would have run. The only thing that's pretty much going to keep him out, or the most likely thing that's going to keep a sprinter out of a race, yeah. is a calf <laughs> or some sort of muscle strain. But no, she's claiming that as a huge, huge win. I mean, I think Randy should be writing his checks right now that she managed to, uh, that she managed to guess Absolutely, that a sprinter yeah. would be hurting a leg. I'm not sure what her next prediction is going to be, but I was thinking perhaps she's going to predict a fireman getting burned. <laughs> um, or maybe a race car driver crashing or maybe a psychic being punched in the face of being a no good fraud <laughs> I mean, maybe those Careful. are going to be next on her list now, I did check out her website and it seems there's actually more she can do than just being a psychic and this is a classic red flag when someone claims to be able to do a lot of pretty different things come on then come on mm. come on Right, are you ready for the list? Can she do the 100 metres? <laughs> <laughs> she can, but not in her season best. <laughs> Presumably she can do the 100 metres. I mean, I can do the 100 metres. I just can't do it in 10 seconds. Uh, yeah, so she offers on her website Reiki, Tibetan Master Healing. Uh, Does that mean she can only heal Tibetan masters? I think so. I think so, actually, yes. It's, it's not something she often gets called for. Can put a little elastoplast on his knee. <laughs> when he's fallen over trying to run the 100 metres quicker than Wayne Chambers, yeah. Uh, past life regression. Past life regression is one that I'm, I, I, I always love talking about. Past mm. life regression because everyone gets their regress back to the past life and they're always fucking Napoleon. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're always someone. I was Alexander the Great. No, no, you weren't. Because Fred was Alexander the Great when we checked him last week. <laughs> you know, no one ever but past life regressed. There's a I was a peasant who died of herpes. Yeah, <laughs> it never happens. Uh, spiritual healing, which isn't like sexual healing. <laughs> but sure, because exactly presumably has some sort of physical uh, physical component to it. <laughs> spiritual healing clearly does not. It's nonsense. But she does do spiritual cleansing, which which is good. You can get your spirit cleansed and toned, so, cleansed and toned, and then she'll moisturised. Yeah, she'll wash behind the ears. <laughs> you know, wash the skirt in boards, dust on top of the wardrobe. She does the whole work works for your spirit, and she does clinical hypnotherapy, and she also does psychem. What? what? Yeah, S-E-I-C-H-E-M. Anyone? Seichem? 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 I had never heard of this, so obviously I looked it up. But fortunately on her website, she explains what it is. Bullshit? Oh, well, she doesn't explain it as bullshit. (laughs) All right, okay. (laughs) But I mean... So she doesn't explain what it is. No, you've you've succinctly explained better than she ever could, but check this out, because this (laughs) this got me laughing. It's amazing. Seichem originally came from Egypt, and it's the energy of the universe manifested through the feminine vibration of the mother goddess. Okay. Which sound, sounds like some mm. sort of sex toy. I don't think this was off her website. I'll stress, not Anne Summers' website. Feminine vibrations definitely a brand of, yeah. of appliance you might it's, find. It's Anne an Summers. appliance, absolutely. Uh, apparently, psychem readjusts imbalances on a deeper deeper level of the psyche, such as a lack of self esteem, the need for slash lack of nurturing, the need for a slash. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just thought the need for slash a lack of. That's the same thing. You know, if you've got a lack of, it's yeah. a need for. So mm. it, was a, it was a completely uh, needless slash. But um, yeah, the need for nurturing and especially self-empowerment and love. So apparently, Psychem does all that stuff. It, it gives you all that. It gives you love. So the World Health Organization has warned against... 
That's what I said. <laughs> uh, has warned against the use of homeopathy for treating uh, HIV, TB, uh, childhood diarrhea, and malaria, uh, which is quite fantastic. It's a start. Um, this this story started around June um, when a, a group of doctors wrote a, uh, an open letter to the WHO, not the band, obviously. <laughs> that will be a wasted letter. I don't know. I mean, were these big fans of the WHO? So I got high resultry. <laughs> Loving your stuff, although he, he, he's involved in some sort of woo these days, I think. Is he? I think so. I think there is woo in the who. <laughs> no, I think, yeah. That's the name of their new album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they wrote an open letter to the who calling for them to condemn the use of, uh, of homeopathy for serious diseases. Um, the letter said, we are calling on the, the, the WHO mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to condemn the promotion of homeopathy for treating uh, TB, infant diarrhea, influenza, malaria and HIV. Homeopathy does not protect people from or treat these diseases. Those of us working with the most rural and impoverished people in the world already struggle to deliver the medical help that is needed. When homeopathy stands in place of effective treatments, lives are lost. So these doctors, which were part of a group called the Voice of the Young Science Network, is it, which is part of the Sense About Science charity, mm. um, which are also involved in the Keep Libel Laws Out of Science campaign, which has come off the back of the... Um, uh, British Chiropractic Association suing Simon Singh. Yeah, absolutely. You can find a link to that on our blog, can't you? You can. A little banner. Where is our blog? Uh, is it on the internet? It is. It is on the internet. I've how, got that bit right. How would one locate that? Um, would they go to murderhoutskeptics.org.uk? Oh, that's, that sounds good to me. That sounds good. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> um, so the World Health Organization has responded to this open letter um, <clears throat> with comments such as um, from their, their TB department saying our evidence-based um, TB treatment management guidelines as well as the international standards of tuberculosis care do not recommend the use of homeopathy. Great. Which is great. Um, their um, TB strategy department says, uh, which I don't know how... Is that separate? Is, is the, their TB strategy department is separate from their stop TB department. That sounds <laughs> massively inefficient. I mean, someone needs to go in there and restructure the WHO. And again, I mean the World Health Organization, not... Not I, the band. I'm, I'm with you on the band. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, if we're going to talk about the who, can we just stick to taking the piss out of Roger Daltrey? Because I think we're getting <laughs> some pretty dicey areas if we yeah. head Pete Townswood. <laughs> <laughs> the TB Strategy and Health Systems uh, Department said that um, evidence-based guidelines on the treatment of tuberculosis have no place for homeopathic medicine. Um, and the Director of Child and Adolescent Health said that we have found no evidence to date that homeopathy would bring any benefit to the treatment of diarrhoea in children. Fantastic. The Director General's office has confirmed that the responses from the, uh, the, these various departments clearly express the uh, World Health Organization's position on homeopathy, which is quite fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing. Uh, the only downside, I think, to the, the quotes that uh, they put out is it doesn't explain that homeopathy does nothing. It just says it doesn't. Then they haven't found any evidence to treat it with for these particular cases. But that's 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 the intellectually honest scientific position, though, is to say there is no evidence for this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's the appropriate scientific response. It's a shame they can't go a little further and say there's no evidence for it, and homeopathy makes no sense. So they they, they could put out something which also expressed because I think there might be wiggle room from the from the practitioners to say, well, all right, it doesn't do anything for those particular illnesses, but it can cure. Cold, and it can cure swine flu, and it can cure... Well, oddly enough, the Society of Homeopaths, um, which is an organisation based in Northampton, quite near where I used to work. Oh, really? I I, I was on their website to then recognise their address, and I've been there. I drive past there all the time when I worked in Northampton. You should have firebombed it with a homeopathic firebomb. 
which is mainly nothing. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, yeah. You throw, you throw a flint. It's a wa- water bomb. It is a, it's a water bomb, yeah. <laughs> no water well, what you do is you, you take a tiny bit of fire and then dilute it in loads and loads of water. Yeah. So get a match. Yeah. Put it, put in, it, in, some a, water. Put it in a bucket of water and throw yeah. the bucket of water at the building. That could be the homework for listeners this week. <laughs> <laughs> Homeopathically firebomb people. No, <laughs> we really shouldn't be encouraging terrorist acts, actually. Not so much terrorist acts as window cleaning. <laughs> window cleaners actually been on a homeopathic campaign to destroy London's inner cities yeah. for a long time now. They're just not getting anywhere fast. Yeah, they should t- change track and use real fire. <laughs> no, sorry, I take that back. Fully, 100%, we do not endorse acts of terrorism. The Society of Homeopaths have accused Sense About Science of, of trying to discredit homeopathy. Um, which, to be fair, is true. It is true. <laughs> they are trying to discredit homeopathy because it's a load of bullshit. It is. Um, but they um, put out a press release saying that the uh, the World Health Organization have failed to acknowledge that there is evidence for the use of homeopathy in the treatment of childhood diarrhea using randomized double-blinded trials that showed results were significant versus placebo. Hmm. No mention of HIV, TB, malaria. No, the things that, that kill. They, act, they actually acknowledge that, yeah, it doesn't work for that. That's, that's yeah. what they've said. We said, no, have they we... actually come out and said that? Have they just, have they just uh, omitted... Well, in their press tonight. release, they say, well, of course you shouldn't use homeopathy for these things, but if you've got the squits... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did, uh, their, their reasoning, their logic and their uh, evidence for childhood diarrhoea, I, mean, I suppose the, one of the problems with diarrhoea is you become very dehydrated because you're losing fluids. Is it just that you drink the homeopathic stuff and it hydrates you because it's just water? <laughs> no, well, I've got information on the studies here. Um, they, they, the study they cite is by... Um, uh, Dr. Jennifer Jacobs, uh, and was conducted in Nicaragua, um, <laughs> and it involved 81 children yeah. uh, aged between six months and five years um, who were treated um, with uh, intravenous fluid and placebo or intravenous fluid and homeopathy. Um, and, Hang on a second. Um, <laughs> so they're treated with something that works and nothing, <laughs> and something can work that works and nothing, <laughs> and they've concluded that the second lot of nothing and not the bit that works is... is, is well, the, the conclusion of the study said that there was a statistically significant decrease in the duration of the diarrhea, which it, it sounds a reasonable study. They go on to cite a repeat of this study, uh, which was conducted in Nepal, uh, which had 116 Nepalese children, again aged between six months and five years, um, uh, suffering from diarrhea. They were given homeopathy or placebo. And again, um, homeopathy showed a, st- a signif- statistically significant improvement in the condition versus placebo. Uh, And they cite a meta-analysis which looks at 242 children and again concluded that homeopathy showed a a significant improvement on childhood diarrhoea compared to placebo, which all sounds very plausible. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go out and buy some kids with diarrhoea to give them homeopathy to. (laughs) But then I decided to go and read the study. Ah, now this is often the undoing of the Society of Homeopathy. People actually looking at their evidence rather than taking their bullshit words. Just taking their bullshit on, uh, on face value. Yeah. Uh, the Nicaraguan study was um, published in the journal Pediatrics in 1994, which I understand is actually quite a respectable mm. journal. Um, the very next issue of that journal featured an, a, a damning critique <laughs> of the study, um, which said, this is a list. <clears throat> One, the study used unreliable and unproven diagnostic and therapeutic schemes. Two, there was no control for product adulteration. Three, <laughs> treatment selection was arbitrary. 
Four, the data were placed into odd groupings without explanation and contained errors and unexplained inconsistencies. <laughs> Five, the results were not clinically significant and were probably not statistically significant. <laughs> Six, there was no public health significance. Seven, the selection of references was incomplete and biased to support the claims of the article <laughs> and references were quoted inaccurately. And eight, the editorialization was not appropriate. That's probably <laughs> the best list I've ever heard. It's kind of, it starts off with a kind of a, yeah, there were issues, and towards the end, just, this is complete nonsense. <laughs> number eight, num- number nine, everyone was, was just talking out their arse completely. <laughs> the Nepalese study, on the other hand, um, was published in the Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine, which is almost certainly not a respectable peer-reviewed journal. Really? <laughs> shocking, shocking news. That's, that's shocked me to my foundation. But do you know who wrote the Nepalese study? David Icke. It was Dr. Jennifer Jacobs. Ooh. Again. Now, I remember her from, from earlier. Actually, according to uh, the website Quackometer, every study ever published into infant diarrhea and homeopathy was written by Dr. Jennifer Jacobs. <laughs> <laughs> now, again, I remember her name from earlier. <laughs> See, this is something of a red flag. There is no independent uh, verification of these studies. No. But there was the meta-analysis. Who was that done by? Jennifer Jacobs. Oh, Jennifer Jacobs. Now, where have I heard her name? Other than in some sort of Marvel comic where she was the alter ego to Mrs. Homeopathy or, or whoever. Homeopathy girl. Yeah. The, the, as soon as she turns into homeopathy girl, she loses all of her power and becomes completely ineffective. <laughs> to, to, to Dr. Jacobs' credit, she uh, did acknowledge in the meta-analysis that the studies were small and lacked any real statistical punch. Hmm. Um, and so she followed up with another study uh, which she conducted in Honduras in 2006. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a much larger study, featured 292 children, uh, and the conclusion to this study <clears throat> went as follows. There was no significant difference in the likelihood of the resolution of diarrheal symptoms between treatment and placebo. Hmm. A negative study. So what was the quote from the Society of Homeopaths again about diarrhea? The Society of Homeopaths didn't cite the 2006 study in their press release, um, which shows a dishonesty on their part, really. Yes, they're, a they're huge. Obviously, cherry picking studies that support their position mm-hmm. instead of, like, you know, the, the largest and most recent study by that author was a negative study. Mm. That said, there was no statistical significance between placebo and homeopathy because homeopathy is a placebo. Yeah. So that <laughs> makes perfect sense. <laughs> Of weeks, more UFO files have been released by the Ministry of Defence and the National Archives. It's part of their three-year project, and re- <laughs> revealed um, there was a huge increase in 1996, which is coincidentally a time when the X Files was doing very well and Independence Day was very popular in the cinema at the time. I'm going to say that coincidentally is probably not the appropriate word. <laughs> I think very incidentally. <laughs> yeah. I think so, because I think those films were all based on all the sightings that were happening at the time. Uh, I think those, were, those films yeah. were definitely based on yeah, the fact that in happened. 1996 we got an awful lot of alien visitations, so they made films about it, you know. That's why it was in the public consciousness, because everyone was seeing aliens. Well, the, yeah. the, the thing I like about that is the, uh, the flying saucers. Mm. Um, when <clears throat> the, the first modern alien spaceship sighting was like in, in America in the 40s, um, the the guy who reported the sighting saw a boomerang-shaped object in the sky. Mm. May have been a boomerang. Probably <laughs> not. Have been. Those are often boomerang-shaped. Yeah. I uh, saw a boomerang-shaped object in the sky, which he described as skipping through the sky like a saucer. 
the newspaper headline that came off the back of this contained the word flying saucer. Mm. Then suddenly, every UFO sighting was of a saucer-shaped yeah. object. Yeah, obviously. Even though the guy hadn't seen a saucer-shaped object, he'd seen a boomerang-shaped object and described it as moving like a saucer, this affected the public consciousness so deeply that suddenly yeah. everyone who saw a UFO saw a circular object. That's one way of interpreting it. Either that or the aliens... It changed their aliens' consciousness. A- alien aliens engineers. Went, <laughs> yeah, well, actually, a saucer, because a boomerang's a really shit chip. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like L-shaped. If you want to get from one end to the other, you've got to go all the way down and yeah. all the way along. A saucer, you know, we can get to the middle and back pretty damn quick. We've well been, done, huh? We've been doing boomerangs and cigars all this yeah. time. What yeah. a daft idea that was. <laughs> Big three-legged walking things like we showed H.G. Wells. Yeah. How daft was that? Yeah, there were saucers. That's the way to do the way it. forward, yeah. You could say it was coincidence, but there is a bit of a running theme. Like, another, there was another spike in 1978. And I think oh, oh, um, hmm, was it? Close Encounters of Third Kind? Yes. <laughs> Get in. <laughs> it's the, day, the Daily was, Mail. Yeah, there was mail. a spike back in, um, was it in the late 50s the, for the B film that uh, came out? I forget oh, the name probably, of the thing, yeah. but I'm, I'm pretty sure the... The, the, the rounded invaders from Mars. It might have been something like that, but I know it, it's where we get the classic shape of the flying saucer with a little sort of hump on top kind of thing. That's yeah, yeah. Stuff. That was that was actually. Isn't it where we get the greys from as well, or we get some sort of the the alien? The greys go back to a H.G. Wells short story, apparently. Oh really? The, the very first time that any alien is described in that way, and incidentally, no UFO abductions were ever recorded before then either. No. Yeah, I'll, I'll just read one story which was released in these files. It's um, two sober women at Glastonbury. <laughs> well, no, wait, 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 wait. I'm sceptical already. Yeah, that's, that, that's not yes. a good start, is no. it? We yeah. were sober at Glastonbury. Of course you were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The article yeah, we, makes a point of putting this into um, inverted commas as well. Really? <laughs> I like the idea that nobody sober could be mistaken either. Yeah. Suddenly, well, I was sober. Well, obviously, obviously that means that everything you saw was completely verifiable. Mm-hmm. They were at the Glastonbury Jazz Stage in 1994. Why the Jazz Stage, I don't know. Um, they saw what they described as a twirling set of moving lights attached to what must have been a circular object. And then one of them said, I immediately said it must have been a UFO or spaceship. It was flashing in a way that was communicating to us. Bear in mind that in a field, and no one else saw this. A field except, of Glastonbury. Yeah. And there's there's normally, I mean, I don't know what the attendance figures are for Glastonbury, but it's, it's, it's is it one or 200? It's more than that, I think, actually. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think recently it's, it's, it's got above the, the 300 mark, even. Although this was in 1994. <laughs> oh, okay. So it might, it might only be them two. Just them two and a few one-legged cows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who weren't sober. The cows weren't sober. They're at Glastonbury, you know, they're kicking back, they're having a good time. <laughs> it's hard to kick back when you only have one leg. <laughs> You can do it, but you end up on your ass. Yeah, they have to lean against each other and take turns <laughs> kicking back. Oh, dear. Yeah, so they saw something in the sky at Glastonbury. Yes, light, light, light in the sky, as it always is. But, and they said, at one point it appeared to be coming towards them, and then suddenly it changed colours, and it went from red and orange to yellow and green. And apparently this had an amazing impact on her, because she was wearing yellow and green. So, I don't know whether she <laughs> thinks it's an example of communication. I don't know. Maybe someone walked past <laughs> in a reflective top. I don't know. It brings up in the article the fact that not a single one of the tens of thousands of fellow revelers saw anything untoward, and their response was, well, they didn't look hard enough or take it seriously That's, enough. I mean, I, it's, it, it's amazing. In the field, it's in the sky. If it's flying towards you, changing colours, I think people are going to notice. That's yeah. It. Or maybe 10,000 revelers looked up and went, oh, a plane. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's well, finish watching The Who. I think. My- <laughs> now, we are talking about the band 
not really? the World Health Organization. Oh, I would love to see them. I mean, they're on the jazz stage. I hear that uh, those those doctors from the TB and, <laughs> and the TB strategy department, which again, a separate department. Separate departments. Inefficient, yeah. inefficient. Yeah. But uh, those guys can really bust a groove. Well, next up, I've got uh, what has to be the weirdest and most bullshit-ridden thing I've seen in a long time. Uh, which was in, surprise, surprise, the Daily Mail. Anyone have the <laughs> wow. Daily Mail there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Who'd have the, thought it? I'll give you the headline first. I'll give you a little time to process it. The headline is, Transplant has turned me into a housewife. <laughs> Man now addicted to cleaning after receiving woman's cornea. I'll give you a moment uh, to just to ponder that. Uh, he's been watching those films where people get a murderer's hand, hasn't he? And they, I, I think he has. And suddenly turn into murderers in their sleep. He's got a cleaner's <laughs> eye. <laughs> It was Polish. He no. could just spot, spot spot things and go, oh, that's dusty. That's a bit dusty, that, right? <laughs> yeah, because I wasn't aware that I had much to do with your marriage situation or with the late cleaning a lot. Uh, well, I'll give you the story, and then I'll, <laughs> I'll let you be the judge of that. Uh, the story goes, Workshy slob Will Palmer hated housework. <laughs> then, due to condition called Fuchs dystrophy, which is exist, and please don't laugh at the word Fuchs, um, it's actually where cells in the in the lining of the inner surface of the cornea begin to die, so it's actually not worth laughing at, guys. You know, come on, this is called Fuchs. Um, his eyesight rapidly decreased to a point where he needed a cornea operation. Once he got the new cornea and the new sight, he suddenly loves to clean. Suddenly, didn't like cleaning yeah. before. He was work shy slob. Yeah. Now loves it. Can't yeah. get enough of cleaning. You see him there with his little duster and his little. Uh, well, he obviously he doesn't love it because he's complaining yeah. about it. Well, yeah, he's making a story about it. I mean, apparently this can only be due to the cornea and the cornea's new previous owner um, because that's how transplant works. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Someone likes something, they then give an organ to someone else, that person begins to like something, they begin, their, their entire persona gets diluted by the new thing they've been given. Yeah. I mean, the thing that gets me about this, it's, it's a nonsense story. Obviously, it's a nonsense story. We all know it's a nonsense story. But there's a really obscene and... and Sickening, not sickening, but just creepy undertone of of sexism to the story. I mean, there's a. I'll give you a couple of direct quotes from the article. It says, "In fact, so profound is Mr. Palmer's newfound devotion to his housework that he believes his transplant his transplant cornea must have been donated by a woman." (laughs) 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 So he doesn't know it's from a woman. He's just decided it is. Yeah, because obviously there's anonymity in transplants. So he's thought, "Man, I really love to clean these days." (laughs) It must be from a woman. It, it could have been from women. someone with OCD. <laughs> or a cleaner who did it as a job. But no, obviously, it's got to not be from any of those things. It has, I, his cornea has no bearings on his personality. <laughs> what I think's happened is that basically he can now see the pigsty he lives in. <laughs> and he's just, <laughs> oh, I've got to clean this. To be honest, that's pretty much what every commenter on the Daily Mail said. Maybe he can now just see the dust. <laughs> but the other quote I've got here from him, he said, it started as a joke that I must have been given the cornea of a woman, but I really do think it's true, he said. He said, there's, there's a reason why men don't clean, and I think it's because we just don't see the dirt, but now I see it everywhere I go. Uh, now, right. <laughs> so there's two things here. You know, this is offensive all the way across the board. First of all, housework is a woman's job, then? Is that, is that what we're saying now? This is 2009, and we're saying housework got to be a woman's job. This is massively offensive to women because it obviously marginalizes their role and forces age-old stereotypes that are completely mm. nonsense and bullshit and damaging. Oh, hold on. The Daily Mail reinforcing age-old stereotypes. <laughs> Who'd have thought it? But it's also massively offensive to men, suggesting that all men are work-shy, lazy slobs. You know, men don't clean is what it's saying. And it's complete nonsense. It's complete nonsense. So it's offend- the Daily Mail have managed to offend both genders at once, which the last time I checked, that's everyone. 
Mm. There's not a third gender of Daily Meal readers who are like, well, I'm androgynous, and frankly, I'm appalled at both men and women here. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, to clear this up for anyone who hadn't realised, we might have one listener of our... One listeners who who didn't realise transplants fundamentally do not change the personality of the new owner. They might, in the sense that someone who couldn't see and can now see, their lifestyle (laughs) might change. Yeah, it might cheer them up a bit. Yeah, they might hang around with dogs less often. Uh, Dogs, the animal, not an attractive woman. I'll stress. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They might throw away their white sticks, stop appreciating Steve Wonder quite so much, that kind of stuff. Someone with a new liver might, you know, go out for a drink. Yeah, they might have a pint, yeah. (laughs) They might just stop dying as well, which which people with with non-functioning livers tend to do an awful lot. They might stop sitting there going, ow! Oh, God, me liver, if only I had a new one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that, that's one way. You, you can have a lifestyle change, but you fundamentally can't have an entire personality change based on the DNA of someone else's eye being in your eye or anything like that. You know, there's not a single mechanism, suggestion, or even speculation for how that might work. It's just superstitious nonsense. And it's ridiculous that the male would even consider running a story so shoddy and unscientific. No, hang on, hang well, on. It, it's, it's not ridiculous. It's completely it ridiculous. Is. It's our main source of material. You, you can't knock it. <laughs> We need to realise, here and now, that we have long crossed the line into a fully-fledged fascist dictatorship. So says David Icke. Oh, I thought that was you saying that. I thought, Jesus Christ, skeptics with a case taking a sinister turn. <laughs> I only signed on for some sort of news-based banter. You see that? That was my cunning ruse. Yes. Oh. Icke Sorry. goes on to say that the word evil is much overused, so he doesn't say it lightly, but we are dealing with evil in the sense of it is the word live backwards. Is that what he says? That, that's nice. Now, he does. He's talking about fascism and dictatorship <laughs> and evil. Now, is he talking about the, the regime in Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe? No. No, he's not, is he? Uh, is he talking about, <laughs> let's have a see, is, it, is he remembering Pol Pot or South Korea with uh, Kim Jong-il? It's, I think it's the problem in L.A. with all them gnomes. Yeah. It is. It's all yeah. those genomes, I think. Genomes yeah. in L.A. <laughs> is, is it any of those things? No. Um, no. He's, he's talking about the swine flu vaccine. All right. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's favourite nutcase, David. I, and I'm, I'm almost reluctant to talk about him because the, the, this crackpot really shouldn't be given the oxygen of publicity. That's but the, the claims he's making are so insane. They are insane. Um, I just can't let them pass. He, he's, he claims that the swine flu virus was created in a laboratory to generate mass panic with the intention of forcing everybody to get the swine flu vaccine. His evidence for this is that the swine flu contains genes from humans, birds and pigs from several continents. Um, that sounds a bit fishy to me. Well, it sounds like it's been pulled straight out of his arse to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so being charitable, I'm going to suggest that what he actually meant to say is that the swine flu virus contains genes from human flu, bird flu, and pig flu, not humans, birds, and pigs. Yeah, I mean, we, we want to make this at least some kind of interesting fight. I mean, if this is just him saying it contains humans <laughs> and, you know... You're an idiot. Fuck off, is all we'd have to say. But if we say it's flu, then you know it contains each of the different types of flu. Yeah. Yeah, we can talk about that. Um, which is, is very probably true. It probably does. Mm. Um, uh, but says nothing whatsoever about whether swine flu was bred in the laboratory or not. No. Uh, and just says an awful lot about the way that flu reproduction works. Yeah, I mean, wasn't it bred in a pig? Very probably, yeah. I mean, the way the, way the flu virus reproduces um, is that uh, uh, most viruses have a genetic code which is made up of a, a single strand of RNA or DNA. The flu, however, has a, a segmented genome, which means it, it can sort of mix and match the, mm. the segments. Um, generally speaking, viruses will target uh, very specific receptors in the host organism, um, like the, um, the, the, the bird flu, for example, 
uh, very readily infects birds, the, the H5N1 flu. Um, Which is almost coincidental, really. I mean, what are the chances that bird flu would infect birds? Bird flu birds? would infect birds. Yeah, and it, <laughs> it's, it, it's amazing. It can infect people, but the receptors that it binds to are very, very, very deep in the human lungs. So you have to take a real big lungful to get there, which is why there were so few human uh, cases mm. of infection when H5N1 was, yeah. was, was doing the rounds. Um, so in general, pigs catch pig flu and humans catch human flu and birds catch birds flu. Um, but pigs are occasionally susceptible to human and bird flu. Mm. So if you get one very unlucky pig who catches bird flu and human flu and swine flu all at the same time, <laughs> then the viruses are free to sort of mix and match and swap genetic segments with each other, um, creating new strains featuring aspects from each, which is why H1N1, assuming it does, which I don't know if it does, it probably does. Yeah. But uh, if, if, that's, if it's the case that it contains genetic segments from bird flu, human flu, and swine flu, well, that, that's, there's, no, there's no conspiracy there. That's just how the flu works. That's, yeah. that's, that's the way things are done. Um, <clears throat> Ike goes on to say that we are told that the drug companies and the World Health Organization have been working at fever pitch to develop a vaccine for this new swine flu strain known as H1N1. But wait for it. Baxter International filed a patent for the H1N1 vaccine on August 28th, 2008. Seven months before this new strain of flu was officially known about. It's the most blatant setup you could ever see. I think him saying that is the most blatant setup for many, many people pulling apart what total bullshit he's talking. You know? I mean, it, mm. ju- it, it really exposes his ignorance. He seems to think that H1N1 is some new fangled kind of flu yeah. and H1N1 has never existed previous to this thing. I mean, it's a, it's a new strain of H1N1, but it's still H1N1. Mm. The H and the N refer to hemagglutinin and neuraminidase, um, which are the two large proteins that exist on the outside of the, of the influenza virus. Uh, and the numbers refer to the different subtypes of those proteins. And there are, there are 16 subtypes of hemagglutinin and nine of neuraminidase. Um, although only a handful of those are commonly found in human influenza. Um, H1 is a very common hemagglutinin and N1 is a very common neuraminidase, which is probably why they're number one, because they're very, <laughs> very common. We probably found those first. Yeah. So if I could take any time to look into this remotely, he would have realized that H1N1 is actually really quite common. This is a new strain of H1N1, which first started in the pig population. But that makes a nonsense of this idea that, you know, Baxter filed a patent for H1N1 seven months before anyone knew about it. No, they didn't. We've known about H1N1 for a long time. Mm. The Spanish flu, um, which like killed off a, a, a load of people in 1918, was an H1N1. <laughs> it was very probably the same H1N1 that's now doing the rounds under the name swine flu. It's, it's just that the... the the virus jumped into the pig population has been circulating there for the last 90 years until it mutated enough to be able to jump back into the into the human population. That sounds like something of a slight against the Spanish then, then that a flu once called Spanish flu is now called swine flu. <laughs> if I was writing that mathematically, I would probably like cancel out both of the flus. If, if you had like Spanish flu equals swine flu. D- divide both sides by flu. By, exactly. <laughs> and we ended with the Spanish. Spanish equals swine. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. Mathematically proven, then therefore that Spanish are swines. H1N1 has been endemic in, in humans for a long time. It's a very common form of seasonal flu. It's no surprise that Baxter filed a patent for a vaccination mm. for a very common type of flu. Ike goes on to talk about the 1976 swine flu oh, scare. I thought you were going to say 1976 World Cup. 
No, he doesn't talk about 1976. Well, he probably played in it, actually. <laughs> So in 1976, there was a uh, what's known as the swine flu scare Mm. um, was uh, probably an overreaction by the American government to an outbreak of H1N1 in 1976. You'd think Ike would have looked that up. H1N1 was around in 1976 (laughs) as well as 1918. (laughs) But no, he seems to think it's a new thing this year. Yeah. Um, In uh, in New Jersey, a a military base called, Mm. I think it's Fort Dix. I keep wanting to pronounce it Fort Fort Dix. But that's just because I did French at school. It's probably pronounced Fort Dix. Uh, There were no confirmed cases recorded outside of Fort Dix. The outbreak only lasted a couple of weeks. It's not comparable in any way to the current pandemic, which has already killed hundreds and hospitalized thousands. Uh, I mean, the the conspiracy theorists, not necessarily Ike. Ike's own view on this is slightly different, but the conspiracy (laughs) theorists, generally speaking... um, the Daily Mail, I think, ran an article about this recently about Guillain-Barré oh, syndrome, God. which is a it, it it's a disease. I think it's a it's it's an autoimmune disease where your immune system starts attacking your nerves. Yeah, it's a muscle wasted disease, isn't it? it? Uh, well, it, it strips think. away the lining the lining of your nerves. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, it can be triggered by the flu. It can also be triggered by the flu vaccine uh, um, okay, because yeah. the vaccine is designed to promote an immune response. And it's an immune problem. Yeah. Mm. It, it triggers the immune response, which then starts attacking your nerves. So the, there is a one in a million chance of developing this when you get the flu vaccine, uh, which is vastly outweighed by the benefit of not getting the flu and dying. Mm. Um, That's because, quite a big benefit, really. And, and the flu does kill. People seem to think the flu is, oh, mm. I got bad, I got the flu. No, you've got a cold at best. You know, <laughs> maybe a touch of, uh, of, of winter vomiting. You mm. have not got the flu. It's really quite a nasty disease, mm. which doesn't have the, the reputation it deserves amongst the general population because yeah, people yeah. Ab- abuse the term flu to mean mm. a cold. You well, know, because you can't say I've got a cold anymore because people think, oh, he's only got a cold. That's nothing. So oh, got I've got a, a touch of the flu. A touch of the flu. <laughs> no. I've got a touch of it. The... No, you have, <laughs> you have it and it's serious or you don't have it and you shouldn't use the term. But Guillain-Barre is brought up because the 1976 swine flu vaccine um, triggered a Guillain-Barre outbreak. Mm. Um, at a rate of around 10 in a million, uh, which is unusual. Mm. It's, it's still low, but it's unusual because the rates are, are, are normally uh, one in a million. And we don't fully understand why there was a, a, a tenfold increasing in Guillain-Barre um, during the 1976 outbreak. Data gathered since then of all the flu vaccinations given then, it stayed rock solid at one in a million. Mm. Um, mm. And so I don't think there's any reason to think that it's, there's, there's going to be any, any greater danger of developing Guillain-Barre as a yeah. result of the vaccine this well, time I mean, around. The fact that it was 10 in a million then and one in a million every other single time could just mean that there was 10 people in there that were predisposed. Uh, it just happens yeah. that way. That's the law. That's what probability means. It, it, yeah, could well have just been an, ab- an aberration. I mm. mean, the, the, the flu vaccine uh, has been developed throughout time with the same basic technology mm. um the data we have is very very reliable the risks are very very well understood whereas the daily mail is painting this idea that we are putting an untested vaccination into our children because the vaccination for h1n1 has been hurried out so the accusation that the upcoming h1n1 flu vaccine is untested is not a fair comment at all mm. uh, and steve novella co- covered this in detail on the neurologica blog 
um, which I suggest that uh, people should go and read because it really is an, an excellent article and he specifically takes on what the Daily Mail are saying. Absolutely. And just for any listeners who uh, aren't aware, Steve, uh, Steve Novella is Dr. Steve Novella, who is the presenter of the Skeptic Guide to the Universe podcast. Yes, which is a fantastic podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's definitely, definitely worth checking we out, everyone. heartily recommend the Skeptic's Guide. We do. Um, Ike's view on the flu vaccine is quite different. He's not worried about the risk of Guillain-Barre so much. Um, he maintains that the, uh, the the swine flu scare, or the fake swine flu scare, as he refers to it, uh, in 1976, was a trial run for what is happening now. Um, he maintains that the Illuminati... Oh, those guys. Those guys get everywhere. Uh, <laughs> I think that's rather the point, isn't it? Because <laughs> the Illuminati get everywhere. Yeah. He says that the Illuminati have, have, have engineered the flu virus, the, this new swine flu virus, with the intention of vaccinating everyone... Mm-hmm. Um, against this virus um, with a vaccination that is actually deadly in an effort to cull a large proportion of the population and so reduce our overpopulation problem. That's mental. That's mental. Okay. I mean, one thing that strikes me that is particularly mental about that is if the Illuminati, who get everywhere, wanted to kill large numbers of people, <laughs> would they have to manufacture a scare about a made-up disease, if, uh, uh, what I claim is a made-up disease, to do so? Or could they just stick something in the water supply if they are as pervasive and as crazily in charge as Ike literally suggests? Ike's response to that would be, that would be too obvious. Oh, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> what those Illuminati guys are all about is subtlety. They subtlety <laughs> don't even yeah. fucking yeah. exist. So Ike maintains that this cull has been planned well in advance and the 1976 scare was an effort to, to investigate how well the population would react to... Uh, being mandated to receive a mass vaccination. Mm. Um, which, if his claims were true, then at best we could say that the 1976 swine flu scare could have been said to have tested how well the American public would react to a mass yeah. vaccination program. But that information is completely useless outside the United States. It says nothing mm. about how the British public will react or the Chinese public or the Indians or the Germans or the French or... Uh, the Australians. Anyway, yeah. Not every population around the world, of every culture around the world, is going to react the same way to an authority figure telling them, you know, you must have this vaccine. Mm. Um, he's also assuming that the uh, the United States public of 1976 will react in the same way as the United States public of 2009, which probably isn't the case. Ike then goes on to associate herd immunity with herd mentality. <laughs> Tries to relate those two terms. I think he was hoofing it on the spot, wasn't he, really? There we go, there we go. <laughs> and he says that uh, when people say you're putting my children at risk by not getting your children vaccinated, that, that's a nonsense. Um, and it's in, in fact programmed people who stand in line are putting their children at risk. <sighs> so. And that's, this is the comment that really gets me, and this is why I decided I had to get to the story, because he's telling people... Don't go out and vaccinate your children because there is an insane intergovernmental conspiracy run by some secret cabal of lizard people who are <laughs> trying to kill your children. And to do this, they have manufactured this idea of herd, herd immunity mm. um, and then manufacture the virus uh, in order to create a scare for a manufactured vaccine to kill your kids with. It's insane. It's it an absolutely it's a it's a Bond-esque plan. Of how yeah. ridiculously intricate it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it's, it's nonsensely intricate. As I say, the Illuminati could just, if they if they did exist, which they <laughs> absolutely don't, if they did exist and were as powerful, they'd find a million different ways of doing yeah. it better than 
<laughs> introduce various strains of flu. I mean, how does he explain the 1918 uh, uh, flu? He's not mentioned it, not that I've no. seen. Was that the Illuminati or was that a genuine flu that can kill people to this extent that swine flu can? It falls down at every are, single point. They're a very down. random group. Very random group, the Illuminati. It's like every now and then they think, oh, should we try and kill people with vaccines? Yeah, go on. We did it 50 years ago. We'll give it another shot. Well, they get bored. <laughs> you know, they've got all that power. They're, oh, what can we do now? We've already ruled the world. We're already lizards, so, we, so that we can take that off our list. Yeah, he's never quite explained what their motivation is in, in doing all this. In fact, he, he, he mentions don't even try and work out their motivations. <laughs> <laughs> they're, he, because they're completely different. They don't think like you and me. Yeah, no, they're lizards. But he's claiming to know what they're thinking. I think so that, yeah. or at least what they're doing. I, I think that the, being lizards, their motivation is to stay in the sunlight to warm <laughs> yes. their blood and to cover their eggs. Yeah, I think those are generally lizards. Uh, and things. stand on two feet at a time because oh, the sand yeah. is hot. <laughs> and sometimes run really quickly over water. You yeah. love a bit of that lizard. They love a bit of that. I do like a lizard running over water. That is, you can't beat it, can you? <laughs> you cannot beat it. It's always, and the limbs are always flailing really uh, ungracefully. Yeah. No, you expect grace in nature. You see a oh, gazelle yeah. bounding across the plains. It looks beautiful and looks. The, Muscles move and things like that, but a lizard over water is always. <laughs> <laughs> well, the queen can do that, you know, because she's a lizard. Yes, yeah, she is. Yeah, that's a party trick. Does this mean that Jesus was a member of the Illuminati? Yes, Hello, I think it's so. Gotta be. And because certain lizards have been known to partake in parthenogenesis. That's true. That is virgin true. birth. Yeah. Hello, hello. There you go. But he, he only, only he female himself. lizards, so Jesus must have been hiding something. He had long hair. Yes, that's very true. It was a stick-on beard. Yeah. No, was a, Jesus was a bearded lady. Well, he was a bearded, <laughs> is that what we're saying? A, he was a, a bearded, bearded lady lizard. <laughs> bearded, bearded lady lizard, lizard, yeah. Some sort of circus freak. Yeah, he could have yeah. had the most successful circus sideshow going ever. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all for oh, David Icke oh, now, actually. I think we've proven David Icke right yeah. with this clear evidence, because obviously the Bible is all genuine 100% evidence. Absolutely. Everything the evidence yeah. is true. I mean, if appearing on local radio taught us nothing. It's that <laughs> the Bible is filled with historical facts. Is that a blatant segue into talking about our appearance on the local radio? That is a beautiful segue <laughs> <laughs> about our appearance on local radio. City Talk FM, I believe it was. No, we do, We were on the radio, which it was um, uh, quite lucky, really, that uh, we, we'd been in touch with the radio on an unrelated uh, subject. Mm. Um, we were promoting our Chris Fensch event, weren't we? Though? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'd been in touch with them, and they had somebody else drop out, and so they called us up and said, please, come on, please mm. come on our show and... <laughs> So it's pretty cool. I mean, we've got the audio, so I think what we'll probably do is we'll probably be able to put the audio out in full, sort of minus the song. Well, we've had permission from them to, yeah. to put the audio out, which is cool. Um, so uh, I think what I might do is put it out as a, a sort of ex- extra podcast. A bonus podcast uh, for all you lucky listeners. Yeah, bonus podcast out for you both of you. Of, uh, Marsh and I on the... Uh, uh, on City Talk FM with Roy Bassnett. Yeah, and uh, with Katie Keeley, I believe, who is the psychic who's on there every Friday, who is nutso. <laughs> oh, I hope she doesn't listen. <laughs> yeah, well, she doesn't need to listen. She already knows what we're talking about. You, her. She's are, psychic. She she came on and said, um, you know, oh, well, I'm actually very skeptical and mm. scientific. In fact, in fact, all all my <laughs> stuff is based on science, like like color therapy and numerology. Yeah, yeah. Which I believe you <laughs> stopped a bit. I did. I, I did interrupt her at that point, which <laughs> some people think was aggressive. It was. It was perhaps aggressive, but it was comic. I. I. I, I disagree. I think it was assertive and forthright. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to sit there and let her go on the, the radio with God knows how many people listening, 
uh, and say numerology is based on science because it's bloody yeah. not. Well, her, her reasoning, and you can hear it in the uh, in the show, is her reasoning is that numerology is it involves numbers. It's based on numbers, yeah. and yeah. numbers are in science, so it's fine. And I think I pointed out at the time that astrology is based on stars. It doesn't make it science. <laughs> which she poo-pooed because we talk about numerology, not astrology. <laughs> How ridiculous. How ridiculous. Although about five minutes later, we, like the uh, presenter asked her what it is that she does, and she said, oh, I do tarot card readings, astrology. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we had, um, uh, uh, was it Steve Goddard, I think it was? I think so, from shipperfools.com. Uh, from shipperfools.com. Don't go to that website. Don't go it's, to that website. Uh, Please. Go to merseysideskeptics.org.uk. <laughs> that's a good website. That is a great website. I've, I've heard that's an excellent should, website. You should catch those guys sometime. Um, who got very upset when I compared Jesus to Spider-Man. He did. I, I, even if I believed in Jesus, I'd think, you compare it to Spider-Man, that's pretty cool. Spider-Man, good guy, does a lot of, uh, lot of good stuff for people. Yeah. Goes out there, tries to help out. He didn't even say, he didn't even complain that, I mean, I should explain the context for the listener. That. It's kind of funny not explaining the context. But you know what that Jesus is like? He's like Spider-Man. <laughs> Climbs walls, has an alter ego, wears lycra. Goddard's position uh, was that we know that the events in the Bible are true because they feature verifiable people and places like Jerusalem and mm. Caesar Augustus and Pontius Pilate, people yeah. like that. It's independent historical verification for the existence of these people. You can't say Caesar Augustus was a mythical figure because the whole of history just falls apart around your ears at that point. Mm, yeah. um, so he said, all those things in the Bible are true. Therefore, that must mean all that bit with Jesus and miracles and that sort of thing. Yeah. That was true. Um, uh, and I took him to task on that and said, well, that's like saying New York City is a real place. Spider-Man lives in New York City. Therefore, Spider-Man is a real person. And he got really quite offended at that. He did get really annoyed by that. Which, to be honest, I like to think was him resigning from the argument. He, mm. had, he had no intellectual comeback to that, so he played the persecuted Christian card. Yeah, yeah. And started going, well, how dare you compare our Lord to some kind of Spider-Man? <laughs> I like how he said some kind, like he'd never heard of Spider-Man before. Yeah, I like there's various types. Also, you've gone for the South African Spider-Man with the, uh, the black back and then a sort of white cross on his back. You know, try and sort of describe it like a, uh, a David Attenborough kind of style. <laughs> Here we have the North American Spider-Man. Whereas I would have been better off comparing Vishnu to some sort of Spider-Man. At least they've got the multiple yeah. limbs for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll try and put that out as a, an additional podcast. So uh, keep your eyes out for that bonus material, guys. Uh, so that's more or less all we've got time for. Um, but there's just a couple of quick things that I want to get mm-hmm. in. Um, first off, we've been getting some reviews in for the podcast, which are all so far really quite positive. Yeah, it's been really, uh, really kind of everyone. It's great to hear yeah. that people are listening. And as uh, we really appreciate it, especially so early on in, in, in the, you know, where this is like episode three, mm. um, and people are already saying that, you know, we're, we're set to rival the SGU. <laughs> I think that's a little bit too kind. <laughs> not, that, not that we want to rival Skeptics Guide. We love the Skeptics, we love Guide. The Skeptics Guide. But um, it's, it's fantastic we're getting good reviews. Well, we've got, we've got a good review on iTunes. We've got some great ratings. So, you know, if, if you're listening and you, uh, you like us, leave us a review on iTunes, you know, uh, or rate us. Uh, please do, yeah. Please write a review on iTunes because it, it, it does make the difference. Mm. And in fact, we, we love to hear from our listeners as well. So if, uh, if any of you have any sort of questions or comments or anything you want to sort of bring up, any feedback, uh, you can email us at... Uh, podcast at merseysideskeptics.org.uk. Correct. <laughs> like you knew. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to give my email address out if I, if I had to struggle too much. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention briefly before we carry on was our, our Skeptics in the Pub. 
Yeah, because uh, we do run Liverpool Skeptics in the pub, and we are going to remind you of this fact every episode. Ideally, every six and a half seconds, I think. Actually, have, like if, a subliminal backing. If you're not in the Merseyside area, you may as well just skip to the end now. Because um, <laughs> there's nothing in this of yeah. interest to you. That's that's true. Right, they're gone now. God, those people, eh, from outside the Merseyside area. God, <laughs> yeah. God hate them. Bastards. <laughs> Bastards, all of them. Um, so we, we, we run Liverpool Skeptics in the pub. Uh, we announced our first speaker, um, which was Chris French, mm-hmm. uh, who's coming in on September 17th. Yeah. For October 15th, uh, we have uh, the uh, creator of the Atheist Bus Campaign, Arian Shireen, mm. uh, who's coming up to talk to us about um, the Atheist Bus Campaign and her new book, The Atheist's Guide to Christmas. Yeah, I mean, that looks like, that looks a really excellent talk. I mean, Arian's a, a Guardian writer and a comedy writer, and the, the book that's out, that's coming up should be fantastic. It's, I believe it's got um, is it 50 of the uh, most entertaining atheists uh, that she could gather together. And I know Darren Brown's in there, Charlie Brooker. Yeah, There's some some really great names. Uh, Robin Ince, I believe, is in there as well. So I love Robin Ince. Yeah, it should be a, a really fantastic uh, book, and it should be a great speaker as well. Yeah. But um, if you want to come to, along to uh, one of our Skeptics pubs that is not speaker-based, the next one you can come along to is the 3rd of September in Dr. Duncan's details on our website. Um, just a chance to meet the other people who, uh, who listen to this podcast, who blog on the site, who read the site, and generally have a pint and uh, a bit of friendly chat, really. And, of course, the opportunity to, to get involved with the Merseyside Skeptic Society. Yes, which we love. Because um, if you're not there, you can't play. <laughs> <laughs> it's my ball, and I'm going home. <laughs> uh, so thanks very much for joining me again this week. Yeah, no, thanks very much. Yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thank you. It's been great. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Okay, bye now. Drop. Bye-bye. Skeptics with a K is a production of the Merseyside Skeptic Society. Visit our website at www.mercysideskeptics.org.uk or email podcast at merseysideskeptics.org.uk.